you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Joining us now to talk about the latest in COVID-19 infectious disease specialist and assistant clinical professor at the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, Dr. Paul Adamson. Dr. Adamson, welcome back. A very good Wednesday to you. Hi, good morning, Larry. Great to be with you. Uh, So let's talk about where we stand with COVID-19. How are things looking at UCLA Medical Center, for example? Yeah, well, uh, things are looking a lot better than they were um, a few months ago in January and through February. So we've seen a, you know, kind of a continued decline of um, cases here in L.A., but also um, uh, less hospitalizations um, at UCLA, but also at many other um, health centers in Los Angeles. What do you think about uh, what uh, CDC Director Walensky said about COVID perhaps becoming a seasonal illness, much like we see with the flu? So, you know, we come around to the fall and we get concerned about, you know, spikes in cases. Do you think that that is a possibility that it could settle down to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a little hard to say right now. I mean, as we've seen throughout this pandemic, it's really hard to predict what's going to uh, be next uh, with this virus. Um, you know, I do think you know, we we do still have some ongoing community transmission. There's a lot of people who do not have immunity, um, a lot of people who aren't vaccinated, and there's always the concern that new variants could develop. So, you know, it might be that transmission picks up again in the winter months, um, you know, like influenza does, but I think it's also important to remember that, you know, we had it doesn't mean that that you know, pattern is going to um, happen. We had the summer surge last year with Delta. And so, you know, it's really, I think, important for us to talk about, you know, pandemic preparedness. And we really need to use this time to sort of prepare for a future that might include times of high transmission and you know, be able to adapt and respond quickly. We're talking with Dr. Paul Adamson, UCLA Geffen School of Medicine. If you have questions for Dr. Adamson about COVID-19, vaccination or masking, we're at 866-893-KPECC, 866-893-5722. You can also email your question to atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and your first name. And please keep your email brief, if you will. Um, We've gotten some beautifully written but way too long emails for us to possibly uh, be able to edit and get on the air. And we want to do justice to it. Better you edit it 
then us do it for you. So uh, please send your concise email comment to atcomments at kpcc.org. Dr. Adamson, if COVID does show itself to have seasonal characteristics like the flu, would that then argue for an annual COVID shot, like a flu shot, that you could maybe get either a combo shot or, or get the two jabs at the same time annually? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting um, uh, question. I, you know, I think it, there. I, I think going back to comparing um, COVID with the flu, there are some differences that might not, um, or I guess some differences between the viruses. So flu viruses are, are constantly changing through a process called antigenic drift. Um, and so that means you have different flu viruses in circulation in different communities at different times of the year. And so our vaccines, we have to choose kind of months in advance in anticipation of what we think might be the circulating strains that happen during the winter months. Um, and sometimes those are good matches, and we have really strong protection against the strain that is actually circulating that year, but sometimes they're not as good of matches, even though in those years when they're not as good of matches, there's still some really good protection, uh, some cross-protection that it provides. Um, and I think with COVID, we see something a little bit differently where we have these variants that come through, which are you know, a little bit more uh, kind of smaller scale mutations or modifications in the, in the virus, um, but they're not changed to the extent of um, kind of rematching like we see in influenza. And, you know, so far our vaccines have actually worked really well against these variants. Um, and there hasn't really been a variant that's come by so far that's totally able to evade the vaccine's ability to pr protect against severe disease and death. Um, obviously, we need booster vaccines to um, kind of bolster immunity and, and to protect people additionally from, you know, infections and hospitalizations. Um, and I think, you know, to answer your question, um, I think there are some differences, but it, it sort of depends on what the virus does. If it really does become a virus with really high sort of predictable um, seasonal transmission that happens in winter months, then perhaps it is something that we might be able to predict um, a booster vaccination dose. But if we're seeing, you know, either new variants that are able to evade immunity um, or, you know, erratic transmission that might not set it up as well for that, it, it sort of remains to be seen. I think we're going to learn a lot over the course of this year um, to, to learn more about this, uh, the answer to your question. We're talking with Dr. Paul Adamson, UCLA School of Medicine, infectious disease specialist and professor at uh, the Geffen School of Medicine. The L.A. City Council's voting later today on whether to do away with uh, the requirement for indoor businesses to verify customers' COVID-19 vaccination status. Um, first of all, what do you think of the effectiveness of that? I don't even know the businesses have been routinely doing that. Uh, and do you think it's too soon to lift that requirement? Yeah, it's, it's actually, I, it's a hard question. I don't, I don't know how well um, the, the policies are being implemented currently. I mean, it, it kind of shifts the uh, burden of uh, implementation to businesses, and I don't know how much businesses are, are doing in that regard. I think the goal of the policy is to really make these settings um, lower risk for people who are in the setting. So, you know, being in a setting where everyone is vaccinated um, is certainly lower risk than being in a setting where, you know, half the people are vaccinated. Um, you know, and that I think holds true even at times um, in low community transmission, like as we're seeing here. 
Um, so I think, you know, as community transmission goes down, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of these uh, mandates and um, uh, things getting pulled back. And I think, you know, it's reasonable to do in times of, of low transmission, but I think understanding that we really need to prepare for a future that might include times of high transmission and what sort of policies we're going to have in place to um, protect the public at that time. Are are we back to operating under the principle that what we're most concerned about is keeping hospitals from getting overcrowded? And, and I raise this because in the early days of the COVID pandemic, the issue seemed to be the, the most important reason for having various mandates was we want to make sure that when people get sick, they can go to the hospital and be treated. They're not going to be out in a tent in the parking lot sitting there with no care. We want to make sure hospitals are able to deal with what comes their way. And and then it became the goal sort of more from there to we don't want people to get sick at all from COVID and, and goals changed. Are we back more to that issue of people have to assess their own risk, they have to determine what they're comfortable with, and the job of public health is to make sure that hospitals don't get overloaded? Yeah, I, yeah, you, you bring up some great points. I think, you know, the, the, the goals have shifted kind of over the course of the pandemic. Um, I think especially in the beginning, the focus, you know, when we had these sort of lockdowns, if you will, in the beginning was because we... We had no way to protect folks against the um, infection, and we really, um, health systems were at, um, you know, the brink of, of being overwhelmed. And like you mentioned, people are being treated in parking lots and, and other things. So um, I do think that that was kind of our goal initially. I think vaccines changed a lot of that. So now we have tools that um, can allow people to get immunity through a very safe um, mechanism, and that provides, you know, obviously provides safe protection and reduces the risk of getting severe disease, which then, you know, reduces the risk for hospitals and health systems being overwhelmed. Um, so I do think the the goals have changed a little bit. I do want to just clarify that I don't think the goal is, I think the goal for public health is to reduce um, community transmission, and that's there's a lot of tools that we have at our disposal to do that, um, and I think. That's still a primary goal, although I think we have come to the conclusion that we're probably not going to be able to totally eradicate the disease. It's going to have transmission at some low level, and it's up to public health to sort of give us the tools that we can use to reduce transmission and reduce the burden to the community as well as protecting hospitals. And I probably didn't phrase that uh, as artfully as as I could have. I, my point, you know, I, I didn't mean to say that public health isn't concerned about cases and about you know, the vulnerable and complications. I, but speaking of broad mandates that, that apply to everyone, that that would be tied largely towards keeping hospitals able to function. Uh, not the public health entities wouldn't even without mandates, be doing everything they could to try and get people vaccinated to um, use their best judgment about taking on risk given their personal health and vulnerability and and to try and do everything they can to to lower the prevalence of COVID-19. Yeah, no, I, sorry, I, I, I understand what you're, you're saying. I, I do think that that has, that has shifted. Um, and I think that this sort of next stage of the um, pandemic we're in right now um, is is probably hinging a little bit more on um, people making their own personal risk assessments, you know, which have some, um, you know, positives and negatives. But I, I do think that is kind of the move we're in, at least at, 
kind of this point in the pandemic. And that might change again in the future, um, but but that's kind of where we are now. Isabella in Santa Monica, good to have you with us. Your question for Dr. Adamson, please. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of scary reports about the B2 variant escalating dramatically in Hong Kong. I know it's a little bit here. What is the difference between what's going on in Hong Kong and here in terms of containing or how come that variant hasn't really taken off here yet? That's an excellent question, Isabella. Yeah, no, that, that is an excellent question. Here in um, in Los Angeles, we do have some um, BA2 variant, and um, you know the most recent numbers um, that I saw from um, I think it's from the the middle of February because sequencing can take um, a little while to get all the data, but it's still a pretty small amount, maybe like on the order of 5% is what I think the, the public health department announced. Um, so it is still quite low. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see these dynamics in different settings um, because the BA2 variant was coming very closely on the heels of the kind of, I guess, the original um, Omicron variant. Um, and so it's hard to, to know if the immunity that was developed through the Omicron variant made it so that the BA2 variant doesn't take a hold quite as quickly because there aren't as many people to uh, infect. Um, and in, maybe in areas like Hong Kong where there wasn't as much Omicron, um, initially the BA2 variant was allowed to flourish. Um, it could be that there was just, that was the variant that got a foothold first and really took off there. So it, it's sort of hard to say exactly, but it it doesn't seem, you know, looking back over the last month or six weeks or so, we haven't really seen a whole lot of the BA2 variant here in Los Angeles. Um, but it's hard to say if that's going to change at all. Yeah. Well, it's interesting looking at the UK where they've had BA2 and then seeing uh, that they're now having a rise in it, in hospitalizations recently. Um, cases have increased about 7% there of from the average of two weeks ago. So that's not a huge spike, 7%. I mean, we certainly saw a bigger reaction to Omicron with the surge from that. But uh, something, Dr. Adamson, we're clearly going to have to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. And I think it it goes to the point I was trying to make earlier as well, that it's re- this is really about preparedness. So I think we really need to do a good job of uh, of preparing for these future variants so that it seems like every time a variant comes, we get, we're sort of caught flat-footed. Um, and, you know, I hope that we use this time of low transmission and we enjoy it, but at the same time, we're, we're looking ahead to prepare for a future that might include higher transmission or, or, or different variants that come. We've had a number of questions this morning as we're getting every day now about individuals who are fully vaccinated and boosted boosted now that they're several months out from the booster, wondering about getting a fourth shot. Uh, Melissa in Fullerton wondering about it for pregnant people. Howard in Beverly Grove is going on jury duty late in May, wondering should he get another booster before he goes in a couple weeks before he's to report for jury duty. What do you think, Dr. Adamson? Well, I, I, I think right now the recommendations for those fourth um, doses are really for people who are um, have some kind of you know moderate or severe immune compromise um, condition. So um, you know, I for example, I see um, a lot of patients um, with with HIV and with um, AIDS, and they um, that population has been recommended to get um, a fourth uh, booster dose, um, and. And there are other conditions that would would make that um, reasonable to do. I think for folks who are um, kind of 
uh, we call immune competent, uh, perhaps otherwise healthy. I'm not sure there's data to suggest that a fourth uh, booster dose is needed uh, right now. And I mean, I certainly haven't seen that data. I'm not sure if that data is going to come anytime soon. Um, but I do, you know, there's other ways that people can uh, protect themselves against a COVID, especially if they're concerned and going into a setting where they, you know, perhaps are concerned about um, viral transmission. And I always remind people that, you know, they're doing a great job. They've been vaccinated. They've been boosted. That's wonderful. You can also wear um, high filtration masks, the things like N95 masks. And Which are available now. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and they can help reduce your, your risk uh, on a personal level uh, quite a bit. All right, Dr. Adamson, thank you so much. And while we were talking, we've got a report that San Francisco is going to stop requiring proof of vaccination to enter some indoor businesses, including restaurants, bars, fitness centers, and gyms. Uh, That'll go into effect Friday in Sacramento. Proof of vaccination will still be required to enter indoor mega events of 1,000 people or more in the city of San Francisco. And as I mentioned earlier, the L.A. City Council is taking up a Similar ordinance shift in Los Angeles later today. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Adamson. We as always appreciate your being with us and have a great rest of the week. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. 